sometimes it's just hard to figure out where you're at. But the words still are the same. You're all I want. You're all I need. You're all I'll ever need, Jesus. So that's the point of the song, and that's why we sing it. If you have your copy of God's Word, I would love for you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 16. We're getting near the end, and this is a, almost a kind of conclusion that Paul makes to Timothy, but it's, we're almost done with the book of Timothy. One more, one more Sunday, and then we'll start the book of Titus. Three chapters. If you can find some time, read through it. It's very interesting. I know it will sound a lot like 1 Timothy, because <laughs> it's the same information. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. The gospel is life. That's what it's going to tell us this morning. The gospel is life. Follow along as I read, starting in verse 11. But you, O man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives life to all and of Christ Jesus who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring this about in his own time. He is the blessed and only sovereign. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal power. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we again thank you for your word. Without your word, we would struggle. It would be difficult. But thanks to you, and the apostles, and the Holy Spirit, we have an inerrant word from you, breathed out by you. And this morning we ask that you solemnly make it real to us as we explore the idea, the truth, that our, your gospel should consume our life. Make it true to us, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're going to be talking about the gospel as life. And so I want, to, I want to do a little quick little sidebar here to define the gospel for you and to explain how it becomes our life. So if you want to write these verses down, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 4. This is what Paul says. This is how we define the gospel. This is what God says the gospel is. And we need to remember Jesus did this, by the way. Paul, Paul writes, I, For I delivered to you as of first importance what i also received that christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures that my friends is the gospel nothing more nothing less jesus did it he died he, he was buried and he rose that is the essence in the purpose and the point of the gospel. Now, how do we live this out? Well, Paul also gives us a little help in that to understand where the gospel fits in life. Romans, you can write this verse down, Romans 14, verses 17 through 19. These verses tell us it is meant to be central to our life. It is meant to be the, the center point 
of our life, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul writes. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. See, the gospel is life, tells believers how to live life every day. That is our guiding principle. The fact that your sins have been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ and God Almighty, that guides us. And so this letter to Pastor Timothy here is instructing how the church should function, how the church should carry on its duties. And the church should always, always, always revolve around the gospel. Not buildings, not activities, not even events, but around the gospel itself. And so Paul tells Timothy to lead the church to live out the gospel with a very focused discipline. And that's kind of where we're going to get to today. I know we don't like that word discipline too much, but it's very necessary. And if anybody's been in the military, you know it's very essential to mission accomplishment. Discipline is. So our calling as believers in Christ means for us to put the gospel at the center of our lives. That's what it means. As a believer in Christ, you are called to make the gospel the centroid of your life, the founding pillar of your life. So how can we root the gospel in our, in our life and make it our discipline? Well, Paul is going to tell us the what of the gospel, how this works itself out in actions. And he's going to also tell us the why, the why we believe the gospel and why we follow the gospel. The who or the what and the why or the what and the who maybe is better. First of all, we're going to see that the gospel tells us what to do. I know we don't like being told what to do, but the gospel tells us exactly what to do. Verses 11 and 12. Let me read those again for you. But you, man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So he leads off this passage with but. Always means that there's going to be, there's a contrast to something. And he's contrasting it to pretty much a lot of the other things he said in the scripture. But most specifically to what we just read about last week and talked about last week was the love of money and the, and the, and the pursuit of material gain. And he uses a term here, man of God. It was an Old Testament term. I think it's only used twice in the New Testament, and Paul's the one that uses it both times. But really, it's more meant like people of God. It's more meant like everybody. Obviously, he's talking to a pastor, but this letter was going to be read to the whole church. So people of God is what Paul is saying. And so any believer of Christ is included in this counterpoint to these previous things he said and tells us what to do. This is what he's including all of us, okay? So don't think and don't check out on me that this is just for pastors. It's not. It's for everybody. Um, this is not a pastor's conference. This is a church worship service. So first, Paul says, flee. Flee. I don't know if you've ever run away from anything. I ran away from a dog one time and, and uh, got away, but man, this is the scariest thing. But this is not necessarily running in, in that kind of fear, but it's seeking safety in flight, escaping, and, and escaping these evils designed to chain you to sin. That's what he's telling them to do. Flee these things. Get away from them. Run away. Shun them. Avoid them. Disassociate from them for the sake of the gospel in your life. 
I, I sometimes think we don't put enough emphasis on that. That as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ, there are certain things we probably need to get away from. We may have done them before, but as a believer in Jesus Christ, we may need to avoid them. And we need to evaluate everything in our life if, if we need to do that. We don't need to meddle in the world's stuff and think we, we're, we're exonerated from that or we're protected. But specifically, what did Paul ask Timothy to flee from? Well, you can turn if you want, but I'm going to go through these verses pretty quick. Chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, listen to what he says. I urged you when, when I went to Macedonia to remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or to pay attention to myths and in, endless genealogies. And in verses 6 through 10 of chapter 1, here's what Paul tells him. Some have departed from these and turned aside to fruitless discussion. They want to be teachers of the law, though they don't understand what they are saying or what they are insisting on. But we know that the law is good, provided one uses it legitimately. For those, but for the lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinful, for the unholy and irreverent, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral and homosexuals, for slave traders, liars, perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching. Man, there's a lot of things in there to run away from. Wow. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Now the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Through the hypocrisy of liars, whose consciences are seared, they forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received. Verse 7 of chapter 4. But have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Run away from those things. And then chapter 6. We covered this last, some of this last week. If anyone teaches the false, false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. And then you skip down to verse 9. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many Griefs. Those are the things that Paul's telling him to run away from. That review was brought to you by me. So that is exactly what we should be avoiding. And there's so many other things in Scripture you can find. But, but run away from those things. And then the second thing he says, you know, when you run away from something, you've got to be running to something. So he says, pursue. Pursue some very important virtues. Live in a zealous pursuit is what the word kind of means. The, the zealous pursuit of what the gospel changes in your life. Now, I shouldn't have to explain all of these, uh, these virtues I'm about to go through. I shouldn't, you should know these. As a Christian, you should kind of be familiar with these terms. First of all, righteousness. Righteousness. Living out the righteousness we have in Christ. Remember, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, Jesus, we might have the righteousness of God. As a believer in Christ, you have the righteousness of God in you. Pursue it by living out God's moral law, his will. Be right and do right. It's a simple way to, to say that. 
righteousness, godliness. This is Paul's favorite word in the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy. He uses it, it's 15 times in the whole New Testament. He uses it nine of those times in this book. Paul likes this word. But it's the duty of a person that, that a person owes to God because God is God. I mean, that's what we owe him. And as believers, we should be happy to do that because God is God. Faith. Trusting Jesus in all circumstances. Now, this is not just the saving faith, the, the moment you believed in Jesus and your soul was saved. This is trusting him in everything. 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 I mean, we need to realize that. The gospel produces this in us. The sinful nature in us is going to always want to trust in ourselves and our own devices, our own resources, our own methods. That's what the sinful nature is going to want to do. But we need to trust in Jesus. When things get tough, we don't need to look to ourselves. We need to look to Jesus. And then love. Oh, love. That unconditional, without any reservation. I mean, that's how we've been loved. That's how we've been loved. Love in Christ will need that constant attention, that pursuit. That's why Paul said to pursue this. You need to constantly be pursuing your love for Jesus and your love for others. It's not something that comes natural. Love must be pursued. <laughs> Most of us will love the lovable, but not so much the prickly. You know, we, we tend to avoid them. We're, it's easy to love the lovable. God calls us to love the prickly. Matter of fact, in a sermon last night at the association meeting, a guy said, try to love the hard case. The person that you think, there's no way that person's going to believe in Jesus. Go find them and love them. Whatever it takes to love them into the fold. Love takes a lot of work, and we need to pursue it. And then he says endurance. Endurance is a lot like patience. Nobody, want, nobody wants to pray for it because they're afraid God's going to make them earn it. But it has to grow through exercise. Endurance doesn't just happen. You don't instantly be, I mean, a marathon runner doesn't just decide one day, I'm going to go around and run 26.2 miles. He works on it. I had a friend that did this, and he, he built up to it. Endurance grows through exercise. It, it must be able to endure all things. It must be able to Take on all the tests that's going to come to your faith. And not just surviving it. Sometimes we get in that survival mode and we just want to get through it. Okay, I'm going to get through this. No, you need to survive it with the right attitude. Because that's, that's where God's looking. He's looking at your heart. Yeah, you may have got through this and you may not have succumbed to the, the sin, but what was your attitude during this? How did you put up with the people that were bugging you? Endurance. Pursue it. And then gentleness. Gentleness, humble, meek, selfless compassion. I mean, that's kind of what the word points to. And it means that you're moved to act. You're moved to treat and help with tender mercy and a kind heart, with gracious truth for their pain. It's kind of like power under control. It's kind of like you, you know what you could say, but you're going to gently say something much more tender. If you want an example, it's the way Jesus treated the prostitute. It's the way Jesus treated Zacchaeus. It's the way Jesus treated the Gentile mother who came to him asking for her son to be healed. That's gentleness. That's gentleness. So just be like Jesus. That's what we should be pursuing. These fruits, they are not possible without the gospel changing your heart. You can, you can 
fake some of these. Some of them you may be even genuinely pursuing, but if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, these will get hard and you will kick them to the curb and go on with your life. These are not possible without the gospel of Jesus Christ shaping your heart. The third thing he tells him to do is to fight. We kind of like that, man. We're ready, right? This is not that kind of fight. It's a striving. It's a struggling. It's wrestling and grinding out for the sake of the gospel that they had believed. Fight for that. So what is Paul telling Timothy to fight for? I'm glad you asked. You can flip back in 1 Timothy. We're going to go through this again. Chapter, chapter 1, verses 4, the end of verse 4 through 5. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan which operates by faith. Verse 5, now the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. You skip down to verse 15 of chapter 1. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. Fight for that. Verses 18 through 19 of chapter 1. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you so that by recalling them you may fight the good fight, having faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these things and shipwrecked their faith. Chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, then I urge that petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for everyone. Verse 8 of chapter 2, Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Pursue that. Fight for that. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. I'm not going to read those. That's elder qualifications, but all of us should be pursuing those. Chapter 4, verses 6. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of the faith and good teaching that you have followed, but have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness, for the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. For this reason, we labor and strive. These are the same words, by the way, as fight. Because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially for those who believe. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters with all purity. Support widows who are genuinely in need. Verses 19 through 25 of chapter 5. Don't accept an accusation against the elder unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. Publicly rebuke those who sin so that the rest will be afraid. And then chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. Fight for these, brothers and sisters. Fight for these. These are the things that we should be striving for. The gospel has called us to a struggle. As a believer in Christ, you are called to a struggle, to a fight, to trust in God in the middle of a world that hates God. Okay? That world is going to fight against you at every turn. And it is. It is. 
You see the stories. I don't have to bring them out. But it is a lifelong struggle. It's a lifelong struggle to live out these virtues that Jesus has given us in the setting that denies the gospel. See, the world denies that there's anything that happens to a Christian. We just chose to come to this church building today. We just chose to worship this way. No, it's different with us because we have a Savior who died for us. We have a Holy Spirit that lives inside us. We are different. We're the, we're, the, we're the religion that's based on love. God loved us and gave for us. There's nothing else out there that, that offers the same thing. We, we, we come here because the world denies the gospel. The gospel changes us. So make no mistake about it. Every believer is in this fight. Every believer, you're in this fight. Now, it's up to you to make sure it's a good fight of your faith. It's good for your faith. Make sure you're fighting the right battles. The fourth thing he tells uh, Timothy to do is to take hold of. Make it your own is really what the word means. Kind of relish the gospel of eternal life. Seize the fact that you have eternal life in Christ. Just let that sink in. That's part of what we do when we meditate and we spend some time alone with God. We need to start with the fact that we realize I can do this because I am going to heaven. I can do this because I believe in Jesus Christ and I have eternal security. Paul's telling him to take hold of that. Fighting the good fight of faith means living like you have eternal life. Some of us live like we're, we're, we're dying tomorrow and we're not going anywhere fun. I mean, we live like that. At least our faces do. We live out our faithful eternal life with fearlessness and faithfulness. And we remember that the calling is to eternal life. You remember, realize this, all believers were called to eternal life. We didn't call on God for eternal life. God called us. We just responded. That's what he's, he's telling you. So remember that God called you to this. Timothy was called to salvation and he was called to the ministry of the gospel. And he confessed this many times. He professed this out loud many times. He demonstrated this many times. He spent over 15 years going around Asia and Europe and other places with Paul. 15 years he's been professing and confessing the faith he has in Jesus Christ, the, the eternal life he has. And that confession, it really solidified the transformation that God brought on him by the gospel. The gospel saves the soul and creates a new life for the believer to live out these attributes. That's what the gospel does for us. Gospel is our life. If you want to turn over to Hebrews chapter 12, I want you to hear what the writer of Hebrews says about this life that we have and what we sh how we should treat it, how we should react to it. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us let us run with endurance the race that lies before us keeping our eyes on Jesus the source and the perfecter of our faith for the joy that lay before him he endured the cross despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God See, what Jesus did set an example for us. Fight the good fight of faith. Pursue these attributes. 
act in such a way that you look like you're born again. That's what the gospel tells us to do. If you want a longer passage about striving and living out the gospel, Philippians 3, 7 through 21, I'm not going to read it, but it's a longer passage, but it's, it's good. Paul's really talking about the fact that living for the gospel is a constant struggle that we need to embrace. Now, let me try to illustrate this a little bit for you. When you entered your vocation, if you chose a vocation for life kind of thing, and you entered that vocation, you know what? You took some of these same very, probably all these same steps to do that when you took on that profession. You fled old habits. You got away from old ways of, of doing things. You, you changed the way you may have thought about work or job. You pursued good work ethics. You fought to be good at what you had chosen. And then you took hold of that career that it offered. I mean, that's the same, same thing that Paul's asking us to do with the Christian faith. Every believer who claims eternal life in the gospel of Jesus Christ should be doing these four things. Fleeing, pursuing, fighting, and taking hold of. So, what are you fleeing from? What are you trying to escape from? From your old life now, your sinful nature. Most of us should be able to name something. You don't have to name it out loud, but God knows. And if you don't know, ask God, he'll tell you. Flee from that thing. How are you pursuing these virtues that we listed out here, these fruits, these attributes of a follower of Christ? We really need, brothers and sisters, to exert some effort in pursuing these things, to make ourselves more righteous, more godly, more faithful, more loving, more enduring, more gentle. Discipleship is what we call it sometimes, pursuing those things. You know where you could improve. So pick one of those areas and go after it. Get after it. What fights of faith are you in right now? Is your faith winning or do you need backup? We all need backup at some point. And you know where you find backup to fight this fight of faith? In the church. In the church. That's what we're supposed to be doing, encouraging each other, mutually helping each other, edifying one another to fight the good fight of faith. That's where you come. That's why we come here. We come to worship. We fellowship and we join our hearts together to provide each other backup. What needs to happen for you to take hold and seize the fact that you have eternal life? What's, what's blocking your thoughts on that? What's keeping you from remembering that you have eternal life. I know one thing that can help you. Tell somebody about it. Tell somebody you have eternal life. I'm going to live forever. Watch their, watch their brain explode. Watch their eyes roll back in their head, whatever. It doesn't matter. You have it. They can't take it away from you by their reaction. Tell them. I'm going to live forever. It might start a conversation that leads to their eternal life. You just never know. The gospel is our life's hope. It has to be. Doing all of this for just our own life down here is, Paul said we should be pitied more than anybody. If we're doing it just for this, this life, this flesh, if we're doing it for heaven and for God, which we're going to talk about in a minute, it changes everything. The gospel should change everything about your life. And if you struggle with these or you have stopped trying to live these out, Get back in the fray. Confess and repent. He's standing there waiting for you to do that. 
Not, not with a stick. <laughs> He's waiting with arms open wide to accept you back into the fight, to get you back on the right track. Confess and repent. Our faith in Jesus must demonstrate a reliance on what his death, burial, and resurrection did for us. It has to. So read your Bible. Pray to your Savior. Worship your God. Discipline your life to live in the gospel. That's what he tells Timothy at the first here. Now Paul has reminded Timothy what to do. And now he's going to tell him why or who he does it for. The gospel gives us why we do what we do. Verses 13 through 16. I'm going to read that again. In the presence of God, who gives life to all, and of Christ Jesus, who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring this about in his own time. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal power. Amen. Paul now turns to the why we do this, why we live, who the gospel calls us to serve. You know, in the charge or the commission or the command that he's giving to Timothy, Paul, Paul honors God and Savior of the gospel. God, the giver of life. No life exists without God giving it. Yeah, we know how it starts. We know what procreation looks like. We know what reproduction looks like. But it's only of God. God allows it. He's the giver of life, and that makes him sovereign. Whether you like it or not, he's sovereign. And Christ Jesus, the one who puts the good in good news. You know, the word gospel is, is just a word that means good news. It doesn't have any other effect than it's good news. And we apply it to Jesus Christ and what he did. And Jesus puts the good in the good news. His confession to Pilate, actually con his confession to Pilate is what led to his crucifixion. If he'd have never said what he said to Pilate, in that public trial, he might never have been crucified. But God had found another way. But like I said, in 1 first, in Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, that's, that's, the, that's the gospel. He was killed according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised according to the scriptures. That's the gospel and that's what Jesus did. And he needs to be praised for that confession he made before Pilate. So Paul charges Timothy. He commands Timothy to keep, to observe to obey, I'm going to throw a lot of synonyms at you, propagate this commandment. What is this commandment? This commandment is the fact that the gospel is the law of our life. That's the commandment. All of it is about the gospel. The gospel is the law of our life. Keep it, Timothy. Keep it because of God, the giver of life, and Jesus, the Savior, Paul calls Timothy to keep it without fault or failure. Those words can mean a lot of things. Stain or reproach, compromise or transgression. He wants him to pursue the gospel in his life flawlessly, if possible. Now, we know that's not possible all the time. But we can pursue because we have grace. And we can be forgiven. And this charge is for life. He makes it clear. Timothy, this is not a short-term thing. You, you know, I did 25 years in the military and I was done with them. You know, no, this is for life. 
It's for life or, or until Jesus returns, whichever comes first. I don't think Paul expected Timothy to live till Jesus returned, but he puts the perspective there. He gives the perspective all of us should have, that faith must go to the end. It's what Jesus said. He who has faith to the end will be saved. You can't have faith for just a short period of time. You don't have faith for one instant in your life and think you're going to heaven. Faith is all life long. See, only God knows when Jesus is going to return. But trusting him to the end is a call to obey. Paul breaks into a worshipful hymn then. He breaks into some, it's probably some kind of creed or maybe even a hymn that they were singing in the first century church. But he breaks into this. He puts God first and makes gospel living possible. That's who God is. It celebrates him. Paul wants Timothy to remember that the gospel is a gift. Nothing he's earned. And it's a gift from almighty God holy God. I want you to hear these truths that he puts in this, this little hymn. God is the blessed, or the blessed, depending on how you want to say it. He is the one who is honored by his own actions. That's the way to describe blessed when, God, when you're talking about God. God is blessed, the blessed. He is honored by his own actions. Why? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because Paul answers it in the next verse, the next part. Because he alone is sovereign. See, he's in charge of everything. And I do mean everything. Nothing escapes his hand. Nothing escapes his control. That word sovereign, we like to throw it around as Christians sometimes. But we need to stop for a second sometimes and realize what that means. He set all creation in motion. He ordains all events that have happened and will happen. And he does it to demonstrate his love and to teach us to love. He's sovereign. Absolute control. King of kings. We use that term a lot. I think there's a children's song, King of kings and Lord of lords. Anyway, no one can rule him. No one can manipulate God. No one, no one can control God. Remember I said earlier, God is God. That's got to mean something. Not God is a God, which some people want to tell us. Your God is just one of many gods. Nope, he is the God, the only God. Lord of lords, his rule, his law, his judgment, they're final. You don't get to second guess them. You don't get to appeal them. There's no appeal court. His rule and his laws, they're final, but they're also just and merciful and gracious through his son, Jesus Christ. So many times you read in the Old Testament how bad the people reacted and treated and disobeyed God's law. You, you go, what are they missing? And God still loved them, saved them, protected them, prospered them. But he's Lord of Lords. He is immortal. There is no beginning of God and there will be no end of God. He will exist in his form forever and ever and ever and always. He is surrounded by light. This light emanates from his holiness it's a, it's a light that, that does more than just lighten up the room. It destroys evil. Nothing evil can be in his presence, which is why we needed a Savior who was flawless. He is the God unseen, not visible. He's beyond our comprehensions of our senses. We don't know what God looks like. Nobody does. Moses only saw the back of him, but that was a presentation he made to Moses. 
We don't know what he looks like. But we know he's glorious because all honor, any praise, any accolades, any worship, any respect, any reverence, any awe that goes to anybody goes to God. It belongs solely to God, to God alone. Why is that? I'm glad you asked. Because his power is eternal. His power is eternal. Like him. Which grants him all dominion over everything. Everything. He's got dominion over your life. When it begins and when it ends. And he could have dominion over you in other ways. But he's a gentleman. He gives you a chance. He wants you to grow. He wants you to be sanctified. He wants you to progress. And see, we live out the gospel because God and his son graciously gave it to us. You, you didn't deserve this. I didn't deserve this. Nobody deserved this. Billy Graham didn't deserve it. The Pope doesn't deserve it. Nobody deserves the salvation that comes to Jesus Christ. And one day, one day there'll be a gathering in heaven. There'll be a gathering around the throne of God. Revelations chapter 5, verses 9 and 10 tells us about it. There will be a scroll presented. It has seven seals on it. And nobody is worthy to open the seals, to break those seals, until the Lamb of God steps forward. The Lamb of God will take it, and then the congregation will sing. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. I can't wait till we sing that song. It's going to be wonderful. See, the gospel comes from the Lamb of God, who is worthy. Amen? So one, one question, to illustrate this a little bit, and I can't even begin to illustrate this really good, but one, one question every child will ask, why? As a parent, it would drive you nuts. Why, 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 why? Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do that? Why do I have to go there? Why do I have to do that? Why do I have to pick up this? It's universal. Every kid does it. There's not any kids that don't, unless they can't speak. But I hated the answer my mom would always give me because I said so. I hated that answer. It irritated me to no end. But we're at a point right here where because God says so, we must obey. And it should give us a very powerful motivation to do the gospel in our life. I mean, here is the only answer to all of our whys. This is the answer. When you wonder sometimes, why am I trying to live out my Christian life? Why am I trying to do these things? Read my Bible and pray. Why, why, why? Well, God says so because God Almighty and the Lord Jesus Christ saved you. You're not doing it to earn the salvation. You're doing it because you have been saved. We need to do it that way. John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, but we always say, I love Jesus. We sing that song. If you love me, you will obey my commands. The gospel is that simple and yet that hard. So this is the why or the who. We obey the gospel. We live it out. Timothy can only keep this charge that Paul gives him by making the purpose of obedience to honor God. 
See, that's the focus. Sometimes we focus on it. We're, we're obeying God to spoil our fun. <laughs> we're obeying God because, well, we have to. No, we need to be thinking about it in terms of it honors God. You and I both have a charge to keep the gospel, to make it our creed, to make it a lifelong pursuit, to live by it. And it should never be a burden, a drudgery, a yoke of oppression. See, we live out the gospel in an act of worship. That's really how we live it out. If you're not living it out that way, you're probably not focused on the right reasons for living it out. Now, it will be hard in this world, and it requires sacrifice. It will ask us to humble ourselves. Humble ourselves. It asks us to lose our life to save it. Jesus said that. It asks us to deny all of our preferences and accept Jesus' preferences. See, some of us think that Jesus came to make Christians, but he came to make disciples. That's why he came. Not just Christians, not just a named religion, not just a bunch of followers who get together every Sunday. He came to make disciples. And if you trust the gospel for the eternal life, you are a disciple. But are you disciplined? That's the question. That's the question. Are you disciplined? Discipleship means disciplining your life in accordance with Jesus' teachings and then sharing that with others. Christ calls us to discipline our hearts. He calls us to that, to follow the one who gave his life for all our sins. See, remember, our obedience, our living out the gospel is all about love. It's all about love. Romans 5, 8. For God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. It's about love. He loved us. We need to love him back. And loving him back means doing the gospel. So Paul, as I wrap this up, Paul reminds Timothy how the gospel takes shape in us and who we live the gospel for. And it makes all the difference. Makes all the difference in why you're doing what you're doing. If you're doing it for your own edification, for your own feel good, it'll wear off. I want you to see this with me now as, as, as we kind of close this out. The gospel as life means we seek to discipline our thoughts, our words, our actions, our jobs, our relationships, and any other aspect of our life. To discipline that in accordance with what the gospel and followers of Christ will do. Paul charged Timothy to do this. And God commissions you and I to do the same. So let's get busy. So we're going to have a time of prayer now. Let's pray for God to change our hearts. To, to help us understand loving him is obedience. And that we can live it out. And we can follow Jesus because we love him. And let's also pray that we'll in our own hearts have a desire to be discipled. A desire to know more about how to live out our faith. And to share that faith and that disciple, that dis- discipline with other people to show the world how our faith changes the way we live. So let's take a time of prayer, silent prayer, and then I'll close us out in a second. Let's pray.